Chapter Thirteen of Notwithstanding by Mary Chumley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter Thirteen. This man smells not of books. J. S. Blackie. Lady Louisa Manvers was waiting for her nephew, propped up in bed, clutching the bedclothes with leaden, corpse-pale hands. She was evidently at the last stage of some long and terrific illness her hold on life seemed as parlous and as convulsive as that of her hands upon the quilt. She felt that she was slipping into the grave, she the one energetic and far-seeing member of the family, and that on her exhausted shoulders lay the burden of arranging everything for the good of her children, for they were totally incapable of doing anything for themselves. In the long nights of unrest and weariness unspeakable, her mind, accustomed to undisputed dominion, revolved perpetually round the future of her children, and the means by which, in her handicapped condition, she could still bring about what would be best for them, what was essential for their well-being, especially Harry's. And all the while her authority was slipping from her, in spite of her desperate grasp upon it. The whole world, and her stubborn children themselves, were in league against her, and the least opposition on their part aroused in her a paroxysm of anger and despair. Why did every one make her heavy task heavier? Why was she tacitly disobeyed when a swift and absolute obedience was imperative? Why did they try to soothe her and speak smooth things to her when they were virtually opposing her all the time? She, a paralysed old woman, only longing for rest, was forced to fight them all single-handed, for their sakes. Tonight, as she lay waiting for her nephew, she touched a lower level of despair than even she had yet reached. She suspected that Roger would fail her. Janey had for the first time turned against her. Even Janey, who had always yielded to her, always, always, even when she had opposed her, had actually refused to make the promise which was essential to the welfare of poor Harry after she herself was gone and she felt that she was going, that she was being pushed daily and hourly nearer to the negation of all things, the silence, the impotence of the grave. She determined to act with strength while power to act still remained. Roger's reluctant step came up the oak staircase, and his tap on the door. "'May I come in?' "'Come in.' He came in and stood as if he were stuffed in the middle of the room, his eyes fixed on the cornice. "'I hope you are feeling better, Aunt Louisa?' "'I am still alive, as you see.' Deep-rooted jealousy of Roger dwelt in her, had dwelt in her ever since the early days, when her husband had adopted him against her wish, when he had been left an orphan. She had not wanted him in her nursery. Her husband had always been fond of him, and later in life had leaned upon him, in the depths of her bitter heart, Lady Louisa believed he had preferred his nephew to the two sons she had given him, Dick the ne'er-to-well, and Harry the latecomer, the fool. Roger moved his eyes slowly round the room, looking always away from the bed, till it fell upon the cat curled up in the armchair. "'Hello, puss,' he said. "'Caught a mouse lately.' "'Did you get the power of attorney?' came the voice from the bed. "'No, Aunt Louisa.' The bedclothes trembled. "'I told you not to come back without it.' Roger was silent. "'Had not Jane arranged everything?' "'Everything. 
"'And the doctor, wasn't he there, ready to witness it?' "'Oh, Lord, yes, he was there.' "'Then I fail to understand why you came back without it.' "'Dick wasn't fit to sign,' said Roger doggedly. "'Didn't I warn you before you went that he had repeatedly told Jane "'that he could not attend to business, "'and that was why it was so important you should be empowered to act for him? "'And the power of attorney was his particular wish.' "'Yes, you did.' "'But I didn't know he'd be like that. "'He didn't know a thing. "'It seemed as if he could have had a particular wish one way or the other. "'Aunt Louisa, he wasn't fit.' "'And so you set up your judgment against mine and his own doctor's? "'I told you before you went what you knew already, "'that he was not capable of transacting business, "'and that you must have the power. "'And you said you understood. "'And then you come back here and inform me that he was not fit, "'which you knew before you started.' "'No, no, you're wrong there.' How like he was to her dead husband as he said that, and how she hated him for the likeness. "'Don't contradict me. You were asked to act in Dick's own interests and in the interests of the property, and you promised to do it, and you haven't done it.' "'But, Aunt Louisa, he wasn't in a state to sign anything. He's not alive. He's just breathing, that's all. Doesn't know anybody or take any notice.' "'If you'd seen him, you'd have known you couldn't get his signature.' "'I did get it about the marshlands. "'I went to Paris on purpose last November, when I was too ill to travel. "'I only sent you this time because I could not leave my bed.' "'Roger paused, and then his honest face became plum-colour, "'and he blurted out, "'They were actually going to guide his hand.' "'Lady Louisa's cold eyes met his. "'Well, and if they were?' Roger lost his embarrassment. His face became as pale as it had been red. He came up to the bed and looked the sick woman straight in the eyes. "'I was not the right man for the job,' he said. "'You should have sent somebody else. I stopped it.' "'I hope, when you are dying, Roger, that your son will carry out your last wishes more effectively than my nephew has carried out mine.' "'But, Aunt Louisa, upon my honour he wasn't good night.' "'Ask Janey to send up nurse to me as soon as she returns.' Roger left the room clumsily, but yet with a certain dignity. His upright soul was shocked to the very core. He marched heavily downstairs to the library, where Janey was keeping his coffee hot for him over a little spirit lamp. There was indignation in his clear grey eyes. And over his coffee and his cigarette he recounted to her exactly how everything had been— and how Dick wasn't fit, he really wasn't. And Janey thought, when he had finished, she would tell him of the pressure her mother was bringing to bear on her to promise to make a home for Harry after her death. But when at last Roger got off the subject, and his cigarette had soothed him, he went on to tell Janey about a man he had met on the boat, who, oddly enough, turned out to be a cousin of a land agent he knew in Kent. This surprising incident took so long, the approaches having been both gradual and circuitous, and primarily connected with the proffer of a paper, that when it also had been adequately dealt with and disposed of, it was getting late. "'I must be off,' he said, rising. "'Good night, Janey. Keep a brave heart, old girl.' He nodded slightly to the room above, which was his aunt's. "'Rough on you sometimes, I'm afraid.' "'You always cheer me up,' she said, with perfect truthfulness. He had cheered her. It would be a sad world for most of us if it were by our conversational talents that we could comfort those we loved. But Roger believed it was so in his case, 
and complacently felt that he had broached a number of interesting Parisian subjects, and had refreshed Janie, whom Lady Louisa led a dog's life, and no mistake. He was fond of her, and sorry for her beyond measure, and his voice and eyes were very kindly as he bade her good-night. She went to the door with him, and they stood a moment together in the moonlight under the clustering stars of the clematis. He took his hat and stick, and repeated his words, "'Keep a brave heart.' She said in a voice which she tried and failed to make as tranquil as usual, "'I've been so afraid you weren't coming, that you'd missed your train.' "'Oh, no, I didn't miss it. But just as I got to the gate at eight o'clock, I met Miss George's coming out of the churchyard, and it was pretty dark. Moon wasn't up, and I thought I ought to see her home first. That was why I was late.' Janie bade him good-night again, and slipped indoors. The moonlight and the clematis, which a moment before had been so full of mysterious meaning, were suddenly emptied of all significance. End of chapter 13